Uh, we're in Matthew 5, 7 today. But I thought that was great, actually, getting all these guys out the front, for those that are on the camera, to pray for people that are in work. Because actually, when we go tomorrow, what we're reading here today is countercultural living. What we're reading here is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is teaching disciples, well, how to be a disciple of Jesus, how to stand out from the crowd, how to shine your light in the darkness. There are practical ways of doing that. And Matthew 5, 7 is another one of those. But I just want to read, again, the few verses that are before it. Because it just gives a bit of context for what we're doing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And um, if you thought the first kind of few were countercultural, then today's kind of intensifies again. Last week, Carl shared a little bit about how the first three Beatitudes about, are about being emptied. So you've got being poor in spirit, you've got mourning for our sin, and you've got humbling ourselves in, me- in meekness. So we get rid of all this stuff that gets in the way, and, and we, we're empty before God. And then last week, we looked at what it means to be filled, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right living before God. And then I believe the next three that we read, so today's and the two after that, are about what that looks like. What does right living look like? What are, what are some of the ways that we can live right as a Christian today? And the first one is, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this isn't a, um, this isn't a secret I'm about to share. I've shared this before, that I like sport. I'm competitive to the max, and I think that's okay. I think that's good, as long as it doesn't go to your head. And I've, I've done lots and lots of sports, from things like hockey, through to football, rugby, um, swimming, all sorts of things. But if you're into competitive sport, mercy is like a curse word. You don't show mercy to your opposition. If I'm playing someone at tennis, and I'm comfortably beating them, I don't let them have a game so they feel better about themselves. I annihilate them. That's what you do in a competitive game. In a friendly, it's a little bit different. You can be nice to each other. But in competitive sport, it's win, win, win. It's not about the taking part. It's winning at all costs. And that's the culture of sport, isn't it? You see it as well in fan culture. Why is it? I mean, football, I really don't like it, football fan culture. But why is it that they scream abuse at each other and seem to hate each other? Because they want their team to win. Yes, there's sin involved there and there's, they're not living right before God, but they so want their team to win, they don't want to show any mercy. Thrash the opposition. I mean, I love it. On the odd occasion, um, Liverpool played Aston Villa the other week. And it was like 4-0, 5-0. And I found myself going, we want six. We want six. We want to thrash the opposition. We want to win, win, win. But it's not just sport, is it? Board games. Have you ever played Monopoly with someone that's merciful? It's rubbish. If you play Monopoly, you can't be merciful. If someone lands on Mayfair, you can't just let them off. You've got to rinse them for all they're worth. Otherwise, it's not fun. But some of these jobs that were out the front here, sales. For example, it's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? If someone else sells more than you, you might be out of work. So you've got to do what you can to try and sell or in business if you're not performing and someone else is performing. The world and culture we live in, sport, business, everything actually, is one that is lacking in mercy. 
is one that actually we're not quick to show mercy to one another. And the same would be true in Jesus' day. So it's a dog-eat-dog world. Jesus is speaking a message to a group of people who are under Roman occupation. The Romans would just conquer the world. No mercy. We're in control now. We're the occupied force. You will pay your taxes. You will hail Caesar. We will not show you any mercy. And yet Jesus here, to every man, woman, and child on the mountainside, says something revolutionary for them and for us. He says, show mercy and you will have mercy. Show mercy and you shall receive mercy. So what is it to be merciful? Often, I think, um, we talk about mercy, we talk about grace, but they're slightly distinct, but grace goes beyond mercy. But mercy, particularly, is the meeting of someone's need who is in misery. Someone broken, someone hurting, and it's meeting that need. It's coming alongside someone and helping them out. Anything beyond that is grace. New life, hope in the future, God's grace to us. But the actual drawing alongside and that that moment of meeting someone's misery, doing something about someone's need, is showing mercy. Now, even in some circles, and this isn't something we we practice or we're into, that um, in some Christian circles there will be a, a pretense on Christians that we're always happy and everything's okay. Now, yes, the joy of our Lord is our strength, and we should be full of joy. But sometimes we're broken, aren't we? Sometimes we're hurting. Sometimes we're in in between work and really struggling. Sometimes we're on top of the world because our job's going brilliantly. But we can't be blind to our own brokenness. Some churches and some cultures will teach us to be blind to our own brokenness and that we can claim every good thing from heaven so that we don't need to worry about the, the moment that we're in, that we don't need to be broken that we don't need to be hurting, that we can just turn our frown upside down, claim things from heaven, claim the goodness of God from heaven, claim these things from heaven, and everything will be right. It's mumbo-jumbo rubbish. Because I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is real. And Jesus is real with the people on the mountainside. And he's real with people that are broken and hurting. And if there aren't people that are broken and hurting, there's no one to show mercy to. We're not receivers of mercy in the first place. So what, we wanna, what I want to say at the start here is that we need to actually be real with one another this morning. Those people who, and it took some effort for some people, I'm sure, to come out this morning and stand at the front and say, yeah, I'm struggling with work or I'm in between jobs or I'm looking for work. But that's good because it's saying, well, actually, I haven't got everything together and I'm, I'm looking. It was great. One of the guys out the front who said, God's just been faithful all the time. And he's given me this hope, even in those times where it's been a bit hopeless. So in order for there to be mercy, there's got to be a brokenness. And, you know, it's okay for us to be broken and not getting everything right. So in the world, when people are down, normally they're kicked. Kick someone while they're down, rub salt in their wounds, hurt them, lash it on. But for Christians, Jesus teaches something very different here. That if we want to follow after Jesus, when we see this brokenness, which is okay, and as Christians, it's okay to have. When we're, we realize that, it's about meeting that need. So the world would say, well, if someone's been bad to me, I'll seek revenge. Someone who's merciful would seek to go out of their way to love them and show kindness. So how important, you might ask, is showing mercy to God. I just want to, without ruining this, it's Matthew 23, so it'll be a while anyway. I just want to read these verses from Matthew 23, 23. And these are, um, this is Jesus speaking, and these are almost the reverse Beatitudes. 
he, he gets a group of Pharisees and religious leaders and he starts teaching them. And it, it's the woes, almost woe to you if you live like this. Woe to you, as opposed to blessed, it's a woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So what's going on here is Jesus rebukes these religious leaders, some Pharisees, some scribes, and he calls them hypocrites. Now, that's quite punchy, isn't it? That's quite strong from Jesus. He doesn't always talk in butterflies and rainbows. Sometimes he says some quite hard things. Here he says, you're hypocrites. This is why. Um, They're giving and they're tithing. That's great. That's what they should be doing. He doesn't tell them off for doing that. But they're going to the extent that they're tithing things from their garden too. They're tithing all their herbs. So they're tithing to the max. Everything that they have, everything that comes in, 10% goes back to the kingdom. But the problem is that's all they're doing. The problem is they're not, they're neglecting other things. The more important things, Jesus calls them. He calls them the weightier matters, mercy, faithfulness, justice. Basically, what these Pharisees are doing is they're doing religious practice and they're looking the part, but actually, they're not showing mercy to people. They're not walking in faithfulness on a Monday morning and they're not bringing justice where there's injustice. They're just turning up, giving. You might say they might pray publicly. They might turn up on a Sunday. They might turn up on their Sabbath on a Saturday, rather. Do their thing, go home, and neglect people, not love people, not show mercy And Jesus here is driving at something to this group of people that we can appear right before God, that we can almost do some bare minimum activities. But actually, God calls us to greater things. Yes, we should be giving to the kingdom of God. We should, everything that comes in, 10% is what we read in the Old Testament. We should be tithing back to the kingdom of God because we want to see the kingdom of God do more things. We want to see more lives changed. But we should be doing more than that is what Jesus is saying. We shouldn't just be paying lip service to God, but doing more. Last week, we looked at hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we're hungry and we're thirsty, if we're craving something almost to satisfy a need, mercy is one of those things, that we we would be hungry to show mercy, that we would be desiring to go above and beyond and be merciful towards people in need. The problem is what happens is we get so caught up in religious duties, so caught up in that bubble that Carl talked about, that we never leave the bubble. So Monday morning comes and we're not in that place to show mercy because we're still just preoccupied with our religious duty. We can't just reduce our walk to God to one-time things like we do this once a week or we do that and neglect mercy, justice, faithfulness. They're the weightier matters, Jesus says. So mercy is more important in the eyes of God that we would see a need, see brokenness, and meet it than just paying lip service and appearing that we're right with him. It's therefore not an optional extra. Sometimes I think we like to think of showing mercy or being compassionate towards people as an optional extra. Jesus doesn't seem to think so. Jesus says, this is a weightier matter. You're, you're actually being a hypocrite because you're not doing these things that are more important. It's a part of following after God. And it's useful, I think, that Jesus actually in Luke 11 gives us an example of what this looks like. If we didn't, if I say, oh, be merciful, great, but how does that help me? 
how on Monday morning or Tuesday or as I'm going through the week, what does it look like for us to show mercy? Jesus throws in a story for us in Luke 11 uh, about a good Samaritan. This is what it reads. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him. I hadn't noticed that before, before I, I reread this, that they strip the man. So they, they strip him and beat him. So he's not just in the gutter, but he's naked in the gutter. He's had it, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was coming down the road. Good news, you would think. A priest, a man of God. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan would be the sworn enemy. They would hate them. The Jews would hate the Samaritans. They wouldn't want anything to do with them. Of course, the Samaritan's not going to do anything. He's an evil man. He's not going to stop. But as he journeyed, as he came to where he was and he saw the man, he had compassion. He went up to him, bound his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So Jesus tells this parable to uh, a group of people. And then he asks the question, who's the neighbor? And the answer is, quite obviously, the Samaritan. And the context of this is a man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What have I got to do? And Jesus says, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These great commandments that Jesus brings. And the man says, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells the story. And the conclusion is, my neighbor is the Samaritan. Why? And these are the words direct from the Bible. He's the one who showed him mercy. To show mercy is to love your neighbor. To have compassion upon someone who's struggling or down. The priest and the Levite, who would be the religious types, if you like, the guys who you would expect to stop, don't because of trivial issues. And they are trivial in the grand scheme of things. He doesn't stop, but the Samaritan man does. And these are the things that I've identified that we see about mercy from this passage. First one with mercy is we have to identify a need. Really obvious if it's a naked, beat-up man in the gutter, right? I'd like to think, I was, I was saying this to Grace on the way over as we dro- drove over, that if we saw someone naked and beaten up at the side of the road on the way this morning, we would have stopped, right? We're not all nodding. <laughs> Some of us would have driven straight on fast. Good job, church. We would stop because it's obvious But sometimes it can be a little more subtle that people are struggling. People don't always wear their hearts on their sleeve. We're not going to meet that many beat-up people. But we will see signs of people's brokenness. So we identify those needs. It might be some people actually say, I'm really struggling and I need prayer. And when they say I need prayer, pray for them right then. Because what we tend to do, and this is my experience, is I say, oh, I'll pray for you. And you know what happens? You go away and you forget. So just as a little cultural thing for us as a church, if someone asks for prayer or says, oh, I could really do a prayer with this, lay hands on them and pray for them straight away. And then you can carry on praying for them after that, but at least you've prayed for them. At least you've done it there and then. Identifying a need is the first thing. The second thing is he didn't just identify a need of this, of this man at the side of the road. He stopped. He saw the man's misery and suffering And he stopped. He did something about it. A lot of the time, we identify needs and we expect someone else to deal with it. 
we hope someone else will deal with it. Oh, it's okay. Someone else will come along. I, I'm busy. I've got to get to... I've got to get here or get there. You know, that's just like the priest of a Levite. Oh, I've got the ceremonial law. I can't stop today. I've got too much on. I'll be late for a meeting. I can't stop for that person. Trivial in the grand scheme of things. People should always be more important. Even if we don't know them, people should always be more important. Third thing is they went above and beyond the cause of duty. Have you seen that? That yes, he, he, he relieves this guy's suffering. But he also, he's on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. He, he's got his plans. He's got stuff that he's getting on with. But he stops. He puts a man on his own donkey, puts him on his own animal. And then I didn't read it out, but then pays for his board and a, a bit of time for this guy to get better. He goes out of his way to help someone. That's an example of what merciful living looks like. Prioritizing somebody else's needs above our own. And the fourth thing is this, an example of mercy is loving, even when it's someone you hate. That's why it's the Samaritan. That's why it's the Samaritan who stops. The man that the Jews hate is the one who stops. This Samaritan too would have been programmed to not like the man in the gutter. And yet he stops for the one. Those four points, I think, I mean, there'll be more to it, but just a helpful idea of what mercy might look like, identifying a need, acting upon it, going above and beyond the cause, and then loving them, even if they're not like you, even if they're so different to us, we've still got to show the love of God. Just thinking about that scenario. There might be things that come across your mind. There might be people that you can think of or in examples that you uh, aren't currently putting it into place for whatever reason, that we might not be showing mercy to people for past hurts, for example. This person hurt me so long ago, so I'm not going to show mercy to them in my time in their time of need. I'm not going to show love and affection. I identify that they're hurting, but I'm not going to help them. What I want to say is our principles, our own hurts, our bitterness, things that have happened to us in the past, don't let them eclipse our love for people. Don't let the fact that somebody has hurt you years and years ago prevent you from showing mercy to them in their time of need. Don't allow it. We as Christians, as disciples, have to live in a countercultural way. And I speak this to myself as well because I get it wrong every single day in not showing mercy to those that are broken. But we have to. That's what we're called to do. People are to be loved whether they're our enemies, whether we really struggle with them, or whether we get on really well with them. People are there to show love to. Matthew 28 is a great passage at the end, which will be in about 10 years' time that we'll get there, I think. The Great Commission that says, go therefore and make disciples. It's an outward-looking thing. And our church has to be outward-looking. You see, mercy is an outward-looking expression because mercy is about others. Mercy is about seeing a need and meeting it. 
so is justice. And faithfulness is actually displaying the glory of God to a world that is unfaithful as well. These weightier matters are concerned with our mission, are concerned with reaching people that don't currently know Jesus. Just imagine with me this Good Samaritan story. The man in the gutter. What if he knew the priest and the Levite walked on by? And the priest and the Levite represented the church today. What effect does that have on the man in the gutter? That it was a Samaritan that stopped. Now we have, uh, the world isn't going to stop. Now in that story of the Good Samaritan, it's not going to be the world that stops. The, Samar- the, good, the world will walk on by too. So as God's people, the equivalent of the priest and the Levite in that story, we've got to be the people that stop. We've got to be the people that aren't so inward focused and inward looking, but outward focused on people are there to be loved. It's one of the biggest tragedies of church, isn't it? That we just consume. Instead of being the church, we just consume stuff. And we're not concerned with people who don't currently know Jesus. You know what I think being the church means? I think it means being full of mercy. Full of, we're the people that are taking Jesus to the broken. We're the people that are seeing a need and meeting it in the name of Jesus. That's why um, Carl spoke a few weeks about weeks ago about compassion as something that we think we'd like to be involved in because we can see a need of lots of children who are struggling or orphans or whatever the situation is and we can help that we can do something tangible with that and God says that if we're to show mercy that's what it means to be blessed blessed are the merciful and I want to give you a really good reason now if you needed a good reason to show mercy and kindness to people I'm going to give you the best reason you could ever have to show mercy. And it's this. Because we've been shown mercy in our time of distress. And we're continually shown mercy in our time of distress. You might not think you're miserable. But before God, when we're separated from him, we are. We're in misery. The prodigal son story is in the pit with the pigs in the mud wallowing about. He's not having a good time. We, if we're, if we're not a Christian here today, are those that are actually in misery, broken, hurting, shattered, not the people we should be. And if we've become a Christian, if we've put our trust in Jesus, that means God's shown mercy to us. That means we've been given a fresh shot at life. God just doesn't watch on from the heavens, but he's intercepted us in the person of Jesus. The reality is we're moments from hell and eternal separation from God, and Jesus steps in. And the first step is he shows us mercy. He sees our brokenness. He identifies we're broken, and he meets that need, and he meets it by coming and standing in the way of our sin and our hate and takes it upon himself so that we can have a new life, so that we can have total forgiveness, so that we can be free and enjoy God forever. Mercy from God. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it starts with God being merciful towards us. Now, just because we're transferred into the kingdom of light doesn't always mean that life is rosy. But it means that we have a firm foundation that's unshakable. 
that we have something that cannot be taken from us, that God has been merciful to us, that God has been gracious to us, that God has rescued. And it just, in my thinking, stands to reason that this, if we as people that are broken and shattered receive mercy, shouldn't we be the first to show mercy? Shouldn't it be a response to a transformed life that we've been shown mercy from on high so that we should show mercy to others? If you needed an excuse, that's as good as you're going to get. And that's what we're called to do. That in our brokenness, in our weakness, though we still are, God has shown his mercy to us in Jesus so that we can show mercy to others. So that we can point people in the direction of this Christ who has saved our lives. It's a response of a thankful heart that when we see hurting, when we see misery, when we see brokenness, we love. We don't just walk on by, but we love. It's a weightier matter. Some situations for us might be this. There will be some of us, I'm sure, this morning that are holding on to bitterness and grudges towards people from however long ago. I don't know. Or, for example, you might see someone homeless and you might mutter the words, Oh, they must have brought themselves with this, you know. They've probably drunk themselves into that hole. Why should I help them? Have a word with yourself. If you think, you know, if that's you, and in that moment, and it's been me, we need to take a step back and have a word with ourselves, don't we? What if God treated us as we deserved? Thank God he doesn't. Thank God he gave Jesus for us. But what if he treated us as our sins deserve? We would still be stuck in misery. But God doesn't treat us in that way. And mercy calls us to look beyond ourselves. Mercy calls us to look for the good of another. Feeling hard done to, forget about it. Let's be merciful to those around us. I saw something by, there's this uh, American rap artist. I'm not really into rap music. You probably could have guessed that. Um, but uh, this guy called Lecrae. And if you've not heard any of his stuff, I'd recommend it. It's brilliant. Like, I don't like rap music. I like Will Smith. I'm not sure that qualifies as rap music. But anyway, I like him. He's cool. But Lecrae is brilliant. And he, he wrote this, and I thought it was brilliant. It was something like, to the effect of, you know, if you're struggling showing mercy to people, if you're struggling to love people, you need to get over yourself. Why? Because you're not the standard of living. We are not the standard of what is right or wrong. God is. Jesus is the standard. And you know what? We all fall short, which means we all need mercy. We're not better than anyone else. We're not on a higher level than anyone else. All of us have the same need before God. And it's all met in that one person, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 says this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. So he knows what our brokenness is like. That's good. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because he recognizes our brokenness, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. In our brokenness, God continues to be merciful to us, continues to lavish his love upon us, continues to be gracious and all things beyond that. Not because we deserve it, but because he sees a need 
and he meets it in the person of Jesus. It's really that simple. And it should be that simple for us as those that want to shine a light into the darkness. What happens if in our dog-eat-dog world, in our sports context, in our, in our sales pitch that we showed mercy? If we lived in a different way, if we were driven not by the world but by the good news of Jesus. If we treated people way better than they deserved. Does that make a difference, do you think? I think it would. If we treated people way better, above and beyond what they deserved. And if we spent our time looking at Jesus, because often the hang-up is ourselves, but if we spent our time looking at him, eyes up, I love that story, Mark, of you're going into work and there being a cross on the building, it just reminding you every day of the work of Jesus. That's really helpful, isn't it? Keeping our eyes in that right place. If we do that, our lives expand to expand the lives of others. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, put it like this, the Christian gospel places all of its primary emphasis on being rather than doing a Christian is something before he does anything. You be Christian before acting as a Christian. Which means, I believe, that we have to, we have to embrace who we are. The broken, the needy, those that are in need of mercy so that we can then show mercy to others. So it's from our place of brokenness that we identify needs and show them the love of God in trying to meet those. It can be our disposition as well as a, you know, seeing a guy in the gutter and meeting that need. It can also be a daily thing. In our conversations, we can be merciful. In the way that we speak, we can show kindness when kindness is probably not deserved. God will give you, if you pray, the opportunities to be kingdom-minded people, to be merciful both in big ways and in the day-to-day. It would be massively countercultural. And just a word to say that justice, justice and mercy, they're not opposites of each other, but there is moments of justice too. If someone commits a crime, they should be punished for that crime. If they're not punished for that crime, then it's all of mercy, isn't it? But there should sometimes be justice. In the workplace, if you've got an employee who time and time and time again is not fulfilling the criteria, you can give them their P45. That's okay. You've maybe been merciful, but the way you give that P45 can be in a merciful way, can't it? You don't have to be like, get out of the building, you useless piece of whatever. You don't have to do it like that, but you can be like, look, you're really falling short. This isn't for you, but let me recommend this website. Let me recommend a friend of mine who might be able to put you in touch with somebody who could give you work. There's mercy even when there's justice. And as Christians, we're told to seek after doing mercy, justice, and faithfulness. They're not um, counterproductive. They're not opposites, but they can work together. You don't have to show mercy or justice. You can do both. And I believe that in the big ways or all the small ways, when we show mercy to other people, when we see brokenness and we meet those needs, when we go out of our way to help people and serve people and love people, we echo what God does, don't we? with us. We echo the kingdom. We see the kingdom go forward. It's in those moments that lives change and there's transformation. It's when we step out of the comfortable. It's really comfortable for us, maybe, isn't it, to come to church, sing some songs, pray a little bit, read our Bible. What about showing mercy? What about bringing justice? What about walking in faithfulness? 
It's when we're out there engaging with the world that we'll see transformed lives. That our light shines bright. In this room, all our light kind of, you know, if, if we're Christians, we'll kind of come together. But it's not shining against the darkness, is it? It's not standing out, but it will when you're out there. That's when we're going to see transformation. That's when we're going to need to be walking in mercy. And I want my final word this morning to be those of you here this morning who don't currently follow Jesus. There may not be anybody, but there may be, or there may be people that watch online that don't currently follow Jesus. But last week and, and the weeks we've been looking at is Jesus has been teaching that we're all looking for something. That we have this hole, this longing, this brokenness, that we are broken people. Sinful before God, wrong in his eyes. And the first stage is recognizing that we are broken. And we're longing for fulfillment and we fill it with rubbish. And it spits us out. It doesn't satisfy but Jesus has to thirst and hunger for righteousness. And one of those right living things is mercy. But I want you to see this, that God, I want you to realize that even in your brokenness, God wants to show you mercy. God has shown you mercy because he's given Jesus for you. That whatever we've done, no matter how long we've been away from God, maybe we've never known God before. That he shows us mercy because he's given Jesus for you. That all that wretchedness, that misery, that wrongdoing, that brokenness is taken and you're given a new life because Jesus steps into the breach. So our sin, Jesus dies upon a cross and is raised to new life. That if we have faith in him, we can have new life too. And in that, we find his grace. We find total forgiveness. We find abundant life. We find fulfillment. 1 Peter 1, 3 beautiful, beautiful words from Scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the good news. According to God's mercy, you can be born again. You can have a fresh start today, a clean slate today, and a future full of hope, and a future that is not going to be defiled, a future that's not going to be spoiled. It's waiting for you. That's what Peter says. An inheritance that's waiting for you and it won't fade. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, we receive mercy both now and in the future. The fact that as Christians, if you put your trust in Jesus, one day we'll be with God is all mercy. Because we shouldn't be with him. But we can be through faith in the, in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing, even if you don't. I think it's the best news ever that whatever I've done, all my hopelessness, all my misery, Jesus comes to rescue me and gives me a new life. I don't think there's anything better. And actually, that's why we show mercy, because that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that I want my friends, my family, my town, my nation, my world to know about. And we, one of the ways we do that is we demonstrate it by echoing the Father, echoing God in showing mercy. 
to other people. Let me just read these words to close from Micah 6. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God, question mark. That's the question that's put forward. To love kindness, to be just, to walk humbly, to demonstrate merciful living before the eyes of the world. Seeing a need, meeting a need, going out of the way to our own inconvenience to help, even with someone who is completely not like us. That's what mercy looks like, and that's what God's done for us.